Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Hey, you guys, this episode of Other People is brought to you by Audible, the world's leading provider of digital audiobooks. Over at audible.com, there are hundreds of thousands of titles to choose from in a tremendous variety of genres, and you can play them on just about any digital listening device in your hand, whether it's your iPhone, your Kindle, your Android, you name it. And here's the deal, everybody. Right now, for listeners of this program, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial. Go get The Best Bondage Erotica of 2011, edited by Rachel Kramer Bussell, or how about The Erotic Edge, Erotica for Couples, if that's your thing. Uh, Otherwise, you can get Emma by Jane Austen, or you can get The Three Commitments, Walking the Path of Liberation by Pema Chodron. Any one of these titles can be yours, free of charge. And if you do this, if you go get the free audiobook, it helps the program. I get a few dollars. That's pretty nice. To download your free audiobook, just go to audibletrial.com slash other people. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash other people. This is a great deal. It is available right now. These are books. You can listen to them. Go and get them. Oh, my God. You are not alone. You have found other people. You and I have a friend in common. Every stupid thing that a writer could do, I've done. I think it's really beautiful. Jesus, dude, what a struggle, you know? It was incredible, you know, it's like your head exploded seeing what was really there. And now here's your host, Brad Listing. Just one person at just one time. Okay, everybody, here we go again. This is it. This is other people. This is a monologue and then a dialogue. This is not quite NPR. Thank you for being here, ladies and gentlemen. Episode 99. Episode 99. My name is Brad Listy. I am your host. I have been your host for 99 episodes, uh, which of course means that episode 100 is now imminent. Who will the guest be? Who will it be? I'm not saying. Uh, You'll have to listen to find out. It's a gigantic mystery, but suffice it to say that I'm very excited about it. And uh, I also continue to be excited about Israel. I mentioned in the last episode that I am indeed going to Israel in early September to do a little research for my novel. It's going to be a whirlwind journey. I just booked uh, accommodations yesterday and realized for the first time, because of the time difference and the change that occurs in transit, that I'm only going to be in Israel for three nights, Uh, which sort of begs the question, who flies from Los Angeles all the way to Israel and only stays for three nights? Uh, Apparently I do. Uh, It should be weird. It should be exhausting. It should be hot on the ground in Israel. I don't know what's going to happen. I think I'm going to eat some hummus. And I think I'm probably going to take some Ambien and I'm going to wear a neck pillow on the airplane and I'm going to try as hard as I can uh, not to sleep with my mouth open. Hey, have you subscribed to the program over at iTunes? Have you done that? Please remember to do that if you haven't done that. It's absolutely free of charge. All new episodes will automatically download to your iTunes on Sundays and Wednesdays. And uh, you can listen to them on your phone, your iPod, in your motor vehicle, while jogging, while mall walking, etc. And if you're a Stitcher person, the show is also available on Stitcher, and uh, it's free there, too. So, very excited today to have Elizabeth Allen on the program. She is my guest. She is the co-editor of Hobart, a terrific literary journal. She is the author of a chapbook called Before You, She Was a Pitbull. That is available from Future Tense Books. And her brand new collection of short fiction is called Fast Machine. It is available now from Short uh, Short Flight Long Drive Books. 
So without any further ado, let's just get to it. Let's get this underway. This right here is my conversation with the lovely and talented Elizabeth Ellen. Do you feel good? Yeah. Do you feel, feel positive? I feel better after the whiskey. After the whiskey. <laughs> I think you might be the first person. No, you're the second person ever to have any kind of alcoholic beverage. Who was the first, Amelia? Um, you know, she might have been drinking before she came over, but... No, I'm glad. I'm glad to have had some whiskey on hand for you. Yeah, thank, thank you very much. What is your uh, whiskey of choice? Makers. Is it really? Yeah. Yeah, I've always I always go with Makers, and I that just yeah. that started when I was like a teenager. Yeah, I had Makers last night. It's the best, I think. Okay, so you're out in Los Angeles from the Midwest. Yes. You live in Michigan. Yes, Ann Arbor. And uh, you know what? What brought you there? I guess you, we were just talking before we came on the air here, and you were saying that you're from the center of Ohio. Right. And then you wound up in Ann Arbor. I wound up in Ann Arbor because I got married to my first husband and he was from Michigan. We met in Ohio and uh, shortly thereafter we moved back to Michigan. And then when we got divorced, I had to stay in Michigan because we have a child together. Gotcha. What kind of, what, a boy or a girl? A girl. What what kind of child is this? (laughs) She's 16. (laughs) She's a... She's great, uh, you know. Yeah, it's. I, see, I have a two-year-old daughter, so now I'm like, I, I can't help but imagine like leaping forward. Is it weird to, when they grow up and they develop their own? Yeah, I mean, she's like my best friend, which I don't know if that's kosher to say or whatever. But yeah, we we get along great, and I'm glad that I have her. Yeah, I mean, but it's like, I mean, uh, I guess I'm at the age right now where everything's extremely cute, and she's learning how to talk. And yeah. is there any kind of rebellion at all? <laughs> What do I have? Um, to, what do I, I, what do I eighth, have to be afraid of? <laughs> eighth grade was the closest my daughter came to rebellion, which still wasn't much, but experimenting a little bit, and now she's back on straight path, I guess. Yeah. Or so I it's think a testament, <laughs> a testament to your uh, unbelievable parenting skills. <laughs> right. I think I just got lucky. <laughs> Hey, everybody! If you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature. I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Um, so let's talk about uh, where you're from in, in Ohio and how you, you know, uh, um, grew up. Like, what, what kind of uh, town were you from? Very rural. I'm from a small town in between Cleveland and Columbus, like an hour from either big city, but we didn't go there much. And uh, I just grew up in... We were always moving different rented farmhouses, and um, I don't know. I don't know why we were always moving so much, because we didn't move school districts, but I, we would just always move different apartments and houses, and uh, I don't know. My mom moved us around. She just wanted to change it up. <laughs> just yeah. Find some I new interior design. Yeah, yeah. So. Were you, now were you, was it a farm family? No, not at all. We just, she always seemed to rent farmhouses, but um, it was, my mom was a single mom, um, she was married for part of the time I was growing up, but not not too long. So it was just the two of us mostly, and she was a bartender and racquetball court manager, and that you know doing two jobs to raise a, a child. And racquetball so, feels old school. Yeah, it is old school. She was actually like jazzercise high, instructor. <laughs> she was like an Ohio <laughs> State uh, women's champion one year, and she was really into it. Yeah, I remember uh, there was like a, a girl that I went to high school with, and. 
um, her dad was very fancy and they had a racquetball court in their house. Oh, like Elvis. Yeah. That's and so awesome. that we used to, I used to think that was like the coolest thing. We yeah. would all get drunk in high school and like hang out in the racquetball court. Yeah. My friends and I, would, cause she managed the racquetball court and we would go there and I don't know, mess around in the sauna and the whirlpool and get in trouble that way. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you were raised with your, uh, your mom, mm-hmm. yeah. single mom. Where single. was your dad? Was he just absent or was he? Um, well, he lived in Florida. He was remarried. Um, they never actually lived together. They were married, but, uh, broke up on the honeymoon, basically an extended honeymoon. And so too long, <laughs> should have cut it short. <laughs> right. So she was really young. She was like 18 when she got married and he was 26. And so he remarried, he lived in Florida. And once I was about eight or nine, I'd go down every summer for a couple of weeks and stay with him. And, uh, but other than that, where in Florida, uh, Lakeland, what is that near Orlando? Mm. Or no, am I wrong? Yeah. Uh, is it actually, coastal? It's like an hour. F- no, it's inland. It's like an hour from Tampa, I think. Okay. It's kind of in the middle. Florida's a weird place. Yeah. Do you think so? Yeah, yeah. And then later I went to boarding school in Florida for a year, and which I don't recommend. And <laughs> it's, I don't know. It's a weird state. It's like a whole different culture. I don't know what it, yeah. Like I, I was there years ago, probably five or six years ago. Uh, my wife was working in Miami, and I flew down there just to kind of like hang out and um, spend time with her. We kind of took a couple of extra days in Miami and I just, I couldn't wrap my head around it. I don't know. I guess people probably say the same thing about LA, but yeah, wherever you're not used to. My mom's in Key West now, which again is completely different too from the rest of Florida. It's more like the Caribbean, but Key West, yeah. Key West is almost like separate from the United. It's as close as you can come. If you're going to be in Florida, Key West is probably the place to be, but yeah, it's such a haul to get down there. You spend a lot of time down there? No, no. Like once a year at best because it's just such a hassle to get down there. Well, yeah. How far is it from Miami? You fly to Miami and then it's uh, like, maybe what? like an hour flight. It's a flight. Yeah. yeah. I mean, fly. you could drive, but that's probably, I want to say three hours because you have to drive through the whole keys. Yeah. I was which, thinking of like that highway that's like on yeah. stilts through the water yeah, or whatever. It's, yeah. It's, and, and they are called stilts by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that, but yeah. Yeah. That's a two hour drive just down that highway. Have you been to uh, like Hemingway's house and yeah. done all that stuff? Uh, yeah. I've been there three or four times and seen all the cats. And in fact, uh, Mary Miller and I are trying to set up a QS reading cause she's never been there and we, I want to take her to the Hemingway house and show her everything. Yeah. Is it a good, is it a cool house? Is yeah, it, it's, it's really good awesome. to see. Oh yeah. I just finished, uh, I was reading earlier this spring. I read a book by a Paul Hendrickson called Hemingway's boat. Okay. Like every once in a while, like I, for what I, you know, I, as a young man, I was fixated on Hemingway, like teenager or whatever, like one yeah. of my early, like just like so many guys, but yeah, you have to go through the Hemingway. Yeah, phase. I went through, yeah, I went through the Hemingway phase, but I find myself like every, I don't know, a couple of years, I pick up another biography. Like I've read a million of these things, Yeah. but like his, like the whole writer is rock star thing. And I kind of went through this too, when Gore Vidal just died, like these, oh, okay. these writers who actually lived, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that life where you know, Gore Vidal was on the cover of Time magazine, and I right. guess you know they're Jonathan Franzen's on the cover of Time, but it just seems like from another it era. Seem like he's living the life like Hemingway or something. Yeah, well, yeah, he's not. <laughs> not judging, but there's <laughs> he's, not he's bird watching. He's not hunt, killing yeah. lions yeah. with his bare hands or whatever. A little but, different. Um, but yeah, no. Anyway, I, I read Hemingway's boat, and it's all about um, you know the period of his life when he lived in uh, Key West in Cuba. Mm-hmm. And it was all about how central the boat was to his uh, imagination and his emotional world. And I don't know. It was like a really interesting take. It kind of had a lot of stuff in it that I hadn't read before, which, right. you know, a lot of that, a lot of those uh, stories have been told a million times. But, mm-hmm. So uh, back to the Midwest okay. in Ohio, um, were you from a very young age, writerly? Um, I would say probably that I wanted to be a writer. My mother was very into the New Yorker and the Paris Review. And I think she probably wanted to be a writer at some point and had written a bunch of poetry when I was a baby. And then I think she sent it out like a couple places and it was rejected. So she gave up kind of, but, um, she always gave me books to read and, were you, were you aware that she was doing these submissions and writing this stuff when you no, were a this kid? was when I was a baby baby, but she showed me the she had like a manila envelope with the poems in them. And there was one that was written to me and, you know, to her husband at the time. And so I was aware that they, that they were there and, you know, read them. And, and so, I don't know, we had some kind of literary influence in the house. No, but you know, like it's weird. I talk to uh, a lot of writers obviously, and it, consistently 
there's always something, you know, it's always mm-hmm. like someone in your life, an adult tells you that you're good at this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hear that a lot. Or you have a parent who's doing it in some way. And it's amazing the impression that makes. I mean, it's, it can sound a little hokey and a little bit um, maudlin or something to yeah. talk about it. We're like, you know, if, if it wasn't for that teacher, you know, but yeah, that's I definitely the think <laughs> the fact that she had the Paris Review in the house and the New Yorker and just having it there and picking it up, you know, whenever and looking at it influenced me and i was reading us weekly as a child (laughs) how i wound up here (laughs) well people never too late yeah no (laughs) um so okay so you you had those influences and then were you writing as a young girl Mm, i don't think so i was more reading but not writing although i remember just as a teenager writing letters to my friends and my friends being like oh you write so fancy like you think you're a writer you know like just that I just, even in a letter to them, they thought it seemed something. So that was the only thing, though. I didn't write stories or anything. Nothing like that. Uh, were you a good kid? Yeah, I was pretty boring and shy and good. You were? Yeah. No crazy streak or anything? I think because my mom was busy working and I was home alone a lot and I didn't have any siblings and I was shy. And so, I, I don't know. I didn't take advantage of the fact that you know I was home alone and... Yeah, you could have been the one who had all the parties. <laughs> right, but I don't know. There was one party at my grandfather's my senior year, but aside from that, we didn't... At your grandfather's? My grandfather went out of town, and I was his angel, and he gave me the key to the car, and then I broke his heart. But uh, <laughs> it was one of those you invite four friends, and the whole your whole class comes, which is like 200 people. And Right. That happened to me, too. Like I, yeah. I used to have parties at my parents' house. One time we... I want to say did you know did a lot of damage to the kitchen floor yeah things got out of hand well my grandfather refused to believe it was me and he went down to the bar where my mom worked and accused her of doing it and she's like dad i have a house if i want to have a party because he just couldn't believe that i had done it and so it was, it was he held you up traumatic. so high <laughs> i know <laughs> and and I shattered. Him down. <laughs> it, yeah um okay so i mean just and you were shy yeah are you still shy um a little bit but i've tried to get over it but yeah i was morbidly shy like i couldn't talk to guys or anything like that in high school yeah in in junior high none of it Mm -mm. you know i think i was shy i mean i i had some shyness but it was only like when it came to like asking girls out okay you know like i could talk to people but as soon as things like approached that level it was like no i couldn't like all my friends dated and were always had guys around but i couldn't talk to them and when i went to my class reunion like nobody remembered me because i was so shy (laughs) Really? Yeah, there was like my I'm three surprised. my three friends and like a couple other people and nobody else. Even when I told them my name, they didn't remember me. Did you maybe if you remind them of your grandfather's party? <laughs> yeah, a couple. That's a couple. A couple of the guys did remember that party, but <laughs> aside from that, nothing. Wow. Okay. So you uh, you just didn't talk to any like any guys at all. Like mm, no just, prom, no prom or anything no, like that. No, I didn't go to prom. I didn't go homecoming. Nothing like that. And you, were you sitting in the back of the class, like the proverbial kid? <laughs> Probably, of- yeah, just being really quiet and invisible. And I talked to my three girlfriends, and other than that, I didn't really talk to people. Good student? No, not really. In fact, I thought I was a better student than I was. And then my daughter, we got out my old report cards, and it was a real mix of A's, B's, C's, and a couple D's. So There's a variety. Yeah. Um, She's a much better student than I was. <laughs> so, but you were you were obviously gravitating toward English. Even, yeah, like those those that was your strong suit. Yeah, when I went to college for a year, I did major in English, like thinking that was what I wanted to do. Okay, so yeah, what about college? You so left went, you left high school and then what? Yeah, I went to the University of Cincinnati and um, for a year and majored in English and was completely lost in the big university setting and ended up just dropping out. You just. I, just, I went to the classes I liked and didn't go to the ones I didn't, which doesn't really work out. And I got put on academic probation, and then I just never went back. And that was it? Yep. You never, <laughs> That's never the went the extent to... <laughs> of my education. <laughs> okay, moving on. <laughs> uh, but I know how long were you just there for one year? Yeah, I ended up living in Cincinnati um, with a boyfriend for another year or two, but I didn't... So you met a boy? Yeah. In college, I finally came out of my shell. Okay, so <laughs> what, what happened? Did you just get drunk and start talking? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just... I had to make friends. I didn't know anybody there. And I guess, yeah, I just started. I mean, that really is the function. When you think about like, you know, adolescence uh, drinking, or you think about college students drinking, like a, a majority of the function of it is just so you can get enough courage to talk to somebody. Right. 
So and I had drank a little bit in high school, but apparently not enough. So. Not enough. <laughs> it's a shame. If you could go back in time, yeah. you just would have started earlier. Everything would have been different. Right. Um, okay, so you met this boy. You were in Cincinnati. You were living there. You had uh, dropped out of college. Right. What were you thinking? <laughs> like, what were you, you know, did you have a plan or were you just like, no, none? I had no plan. This was probably, I don't know about the lowest point of my life, but it was definitely like, I had no idea what I was going to do. And actually my paternal grandmother was still sending me checks as if I was in school. So I was just cashing the checks to sell, telling her I was in school and supporting my boyfriend and myself <laughs> and just kind of, I didn't know what to do. I was just reading a lot and that's kind of when I had panic attacks and this whole thing. Cause I didn't, I didn't know what I was going to do. And then eventually I moved, I broke up with that boyfriend and moved away. So, so what about these panic attacks? What would happen? Well, that's kind of why I dropped out of um, school because I, I don't know why I started getting them. I didn't know they were panic attacks at the time, but I would go to one of the classes, the big classes, and I would just feel like I couldn't sit there and I had to get out. And so that's part of why I think I stopped going to class. But then when I, I, I don't know. I somehow found out they were panic attacks and then I was able to over a year, like overcome them just by breathing. <laughs> it's amazing yeah. what like, breathing well, will do. Actually just knowing what it was, was so helpful because until I figured out what it was, like I went to the emergency room, I was like, I can't breathe. And then I thought, you know, something was wrong with me. And they're like, Oh, there's nothing wrong with you physically. <laughs> and, uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't go see a therapist or get drugs or anything, but just knowing what they were and then I could deal with them. Did you read up? Was it was yeah. something you Googled? Or well, whatever? at the time I didn't have a computer, but um, oh, right. I somehow, I don't remember how, but I found information about it. What is, yeah, what is it? Like, can you, do you, do you have an understanding of it to the point where you could quickly summarize? Like, <laughs> a like, panic attack? Yeah, because I mean, I, have a, I had a friend who remember who had one and she thought she was having a heart attack. Yeah. I mean, it manifests like, in all these like physical ways. Yeah. Or, I, when I went to the hospital, I felt like my throat was closing up and I couldn't breathe. And I was, my boyfriend at the time was away and I was home alone and I was just like, oh my God, I can't breathe. And I walked to the emergency room, but it was you. And that's when I was at home, which is odd because usually it would happen in a restaurant or a movie theater or something like where I just felt like I had to get out and I couldn't breathe until I, what would out. trigger it? Just being around people and like the, the people, like, I don't know. I felt like I was going to embarrass myself or something in that way. And I just had to get away from the people or I mean, it's, maybe it's a little bit of claustrophobia too, because I still get it on planes now. Yeah. But aside from that, I'm good, but okay. on and airplanes, then... I get a little bit panicky. Okay. So what do you do? You just have to breathe. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I just try to breathe, and now I try to watch, like, the last time I flew to Vegas, I had downloaded The Hills on my iPod, or, yeah, and I just watched The Hills, and that You like helped. The Hills? I had never watched it, but... Um, I just talked to Sheila Hetty. That, uh, that's and, exactly why. Right? Yeah, oh, is that I had why? just listened to the Sheila Hetty. That's, yeah, that's exactly why, because right, she good. was raving about it, and I had never watched it, and so I watched the first five episodes. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm a huge, I mean, I'm a big fan of that show. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to retread that because I've already talked right. at length about my, yeah, gu just my gushing to, fandom. <laughs> anything on the plane, not to be focusing on the fact that I'm on the plane. So yeah, I don't like to fly a ton. I don't think anybody, I mean, I think some people just don't care, Yeah. but I can't imagine that anybody, unless you're a pilot or unless you, I guess maybe if you're sitting in first class and luxury or something, <laughs> but flying is just a miserable experience. Yeah. You know, what's it's, the, it's, all, it's nice to get there. It's, everybody's crammed in there and it's just, people are too close and there's too many of them. And so I take it. You're not talking to the person in the seat next to you. No, I'm avoiding eye contact with that person. Headphones on. Yeah. Yeah. Unless, I don't know if it was like a cute grandma lady, I'd probably talk to her, but if it's just like a businessman, then no, I don't creepy business guy. Yeah. Yeah. And that's they the guy. I don't want me to talk to them anyway. Oh, I don't know. That's exactly who wants to talk <laughs> really? to you. Really? They yeah. just seem like they're preoccupied with business. some guy commuting. It's looking at his like spreadsheets or something. Yeah. He's probably bored, but, um, okay. So you leave Cincinnati, you right. break up with this guy. Well, I, I think it was a mutual breakup, but yeah, it was, mm -hmm. like, uh, he might've broken up with me. I actually don't remember, but it was, I think it was pretty mutual. You don't remember. I, 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 I don't remember how it happened. We just grew apart, I think. And so a I moved. amicable essentially. Mm, yeah. Pretty amicable. I mean, I didn't talk to him after that, but <laughs> <laughs> I erased him from my life. <laughs> I don't have any hard feelings toward him. I mean, yeah. Um, okay. And so then where? And so then I moved it, uh, to Columbus, Ohio with my mother for about, a year or two and worked and the so now she was in columbus yeah okay what brought her to columbus i think she was going to court reporting school 
she decided she'd had enough bartending and she was 40 and she went back to be a court reporter, which is what she's doing now. And that, that's the person who types while yeah. the people... Okay, let's talk about this because this fascinates me. <laughs> I don't know too much about it, but... No, but I, my, I have a simple question. Uh-huh. Is she literally writing every word that's being said? No, it's it's shorthand kind of okay. dictation. It's like taking... It's like yeah, taking, that's what you have to go to school to learn all this all oh, shorthand. That explains it because mm-hmm. it just seems impossible to me and... Well, it was stressful when she started. It was really stressful for her. Right. I mean, that's important. You have to have yeah. a written record. I mean, you know... <laughs> yeah, everybody's looking at you for the information but what they're actually typing on is like some machine that has shorthand yes okay. i've never really looked at the machine so i don't know much about it but yeah she doesn't have one at home well, probably but i just haven't ever like asked her about it so she's a court reporter in key west yeah she's retiring the end of this month oh she is but congratulations mom yeah, she's excited um well that's interesting she must get some interesting cases like in key west yeah all the like really horrible cases <laughs> so when i go to key west i'm a little bit i don't like to walk around by myself it's i love key west but i feel like it's the only place in america where i feel nervous right walking okay is there a menace there because i feel like there's a menace in florida generally in fact yeah, i was I was just reading the- online today that like they found like an 18 foot burmese python in the everglades <laughs> did you read there was an article and i think i might have talked about this with somebody on this show but there was an article about the hurricane uh, and I don't know which hurricane it was, but or maybe it was an acu- you know an accumulation of hurricanes uh-huh. sweeping through the state and the strong winds lifting. Uh, I guess there was like a pet store, an exotic pet oh store, and all these like animals got flung into the jungles of Florida. Wow! No, and started like mating, <laughs> and so yeah, so now there's like really like truly crazy snakes and I have critters. Read and- about the snakes, which I thought was. More people just letting them go and then them. Breeding. That too. But yeah. That too. Or yeah. they're escaping or people move and they're just like, okay. And they just like chuck their python into the yeah. ditch and, you know, and, um, but, but anyway, think, anyway, I, there's like a, there's a menace and it's not just like creepy crawly menace, yeah. but there's like, just like a, there's a homicidal vibe in Florida. <laughs> yeah. I think that people go to QS, at least for my mom working in the court system, there's a lot of people that go down there to do drugs and hang out and, you know. Escape. <laughs> so I'm always conscious of that when I'm down there. Yeah. You're not participating. No. You don't no. go. I mean, I'm I guess too you, straight. You're too straight. You go, you, <laughs> go to the, you go to a bar or whatever. Yeah. But you're not going. I have my bourbon, but no, I'm not That's out it. shooting heroin or anything. Okay. People <laughs> shoot heroin down there. Yeah, I think so. I don't know if I, this doesn't seem like the kind of place you'd want to be shooting heroin. You need to be somewhere it's rainy. Warm. I guess. Oh, so. you have to be in the rain. No. You need to be indoors. Like yeah. I feel like at Key West, you should be swimming on ecstasy no, or something. Maybe I think that's the tourists, but the people that live there are more apt to be doing the heroin. <laughs> so, what is? Are there any crazy cases that we should know about that she's? Oh no, it's more just depressing. Like it's depressing child okay. abuse and Ugh. murder and that kind of. Yeah, Ugh. it's really. How many people live down there? I honestly have no idea. I, a few I, thousand. Yeah. Okay. And it's not that big of a space, and it's pretty packed with people. So. Um, yeah. So what about Columbus? So I moved to Columbus, got a, you know, just a retail job, and that's where I met my husband. And then where did you? What, where was this retail job? It was like a mom and pop, um, almost like a head shop. Like we sold beads and bajas and. Um, Glass jewelry. pipes. Yeah, that kind of stuff. So it's I worked not- there for two years. Nog Champa. Pardon? <laughs> Is that the incense? Oh, okay. Yeah, we sold a lot of box. incense. Yeah. yeah. And that's where my husband came into the store and he was like the hippie guy, of course. <laughs> like long hair? Yeah. He looked kind of like Jim Morrison, um, drunk. And I was like, yep, that's... <laughs> that's and we the were one. married a month later, so... Were you really? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So let's talk... Do you mind talking no. about this? Uh-uh. The, the courtship. He comes into the store, first of all. Yeah, drunk. You're, you're working... He's drunk. With his two buddies and... Yeah. Okay. All three of them drunk. Yeah. What time of day was this? I think it was a Saturday at like eight at night or something. Okay. Better than Saturday at eight in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to work the early shift at the head shop. No. Uh, so you meet him. Yes. He immediately asked you out. Um, no, he actually didn't. He just kind of talked to me a little bit and then he came back Monday morning. Sober. <laughs> cut his <Maybe>. hair. <laughs> no, he didn't cut his hair. Freshly showered. And he may or may, I don't know, he wasn't too sober back then, but possibly he was sober. And he asked me if I like to ride bikes because he didn't have a car. <laughs> so I said yes. And You got a tandem bicycle? 
And I was actually living with somebody else at the time. I forgot about that part. Oh, you were? Yeah, I'd been engaged to this other guy for a couple of years, but I, we'd already broken the engagement, but we were still living together until... It was like the petering out process. Yeah, we, so you we, felt free to see other people. Not really, but this guy just came in and like totally turned my world around. So, yeah, yeah, so yeah. within a few days, I had moved out. Okay. And in with him? Uh, yeah, we got an apartment. Immediately? <laughs> yeah. Wow, this is a whirlwind. Okay, so... You're riding bikes around, and then you got married. <laughs> well, I had a car. Oh, you did? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he's riding his bike. Right. You're following slowly. Yeah. And then uh, you guys got married a month later. Yeah. And and so what I didn't realize when I met him was that he had just turned, he was like 18 and a half, and I was just turned 25. Holy cow. Which now I look back and I'm like, wow, he's so young. But at the time, like... I thought he was older and he thought I was younger and we thought we were about the same age. So he looked a little older. Yeah. 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 Okay. What kind of hippie was he? Was he into like touring around with the, uh, the grateful dead and he stuff was like totally that? into the dead, although he didn't tour around with them cause he didn't have the means, but <laughs> with his bike, <laughs> right. but, um, yeah, I saw was... the grateful dead at Buckeye Lake when I was in so high did school. I. Yeah. It was like 92 or 93 or something, you know, that's about the year that I saw him. Um, we saw them when sting, I think yeah. opened. I was oh there. God. I was there. I was actually there with the ex right before I met my husband. Oh, you were? Yeah. Okay. I just, I just remember uh, Nitrous Balloons, and okay. it was fun. That's crazy that we're at the same concert. Yeah, that is strange. It, you know, I have fond memories. The thing about it, and this is what I always try to describe, like, my wife can't stand the Grateful Dead. Uh-huh. And I don't know if I would even like them if I hadn't listened to them when I was, like, at that age. Right. But I lived in Indiana. <laughs> Nothing happened there. And it was like an extremely conservative suburb and, you know, just all this stuff. And then like every summer, this band would come through town and you could go there and like yeah. anything went. Yeah. I thought that was great. So did you do the nitrous oxide balloons? Or- of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course. I didn't, but my, my husband did a lot of that. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know if it's the smartest thing. I, I, I don't know if it was the smartest thing to do, but it was fun. You, yeah. sh- you should just be seated. You don't want to be standing up. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I learned that. Okay. I'll remember that. Um, Okay. So you get married. Where did you guys get married? The courthouse. At the courthouse. Was your mother there? No. We got married at the courthouse and went to work afterward. That quickly? Uh We got married at like two in the afternoon and we both had to work at the strip mall. (laughs) So we just went to work and nobody knew. We hadn't told anybody. So what prompted this? Was there a, like a formal proposal or was it just like, you want to get married? Let's do it. I think we were doing acid and then he was like, do you want to get married? For real? Yeah. Honestly, I feel like he kind of messed with my head when we were doing acid because <laughs> I had only done it once before, but he did it a lot. And, uh, but, but I would have married him anyway. It wasn't like he tricked me or something. Right. So, um, so were you on acid when you got married? No, no. When he oh, asked me, when he asked you yeah, yeah. and that was like what the night before? Oh, well, no, you had to wait two weeks or something like that. I remember we had to wait or we would have gotten married sooner, okay. but it was a month almost to the day from when I met him when he came into the store. Okay. And we just went down to the courthouse, got married, didn't tell anybody, and then um, went to work. And actually, we hadn't got the apartment yet. He was still living with his buddies, so we went back there and told them. Okay. Wow. And then what did they say? Holy shit. Well, nobody believed us. Because <laughs> we just had little $10 silver rings that we sold at the store I worked at and little Not dolphin the, the, the little the little waves yeah we had a lot of dolphin rings <laughs> yeah i went to school in boulder i saw a lot of dolphin rings a lot of toe yeah, rings that yeah. kind of thing uh-huh. uh, i never understood the toe ring do you do the toe ring no because the, i don't know they're annoying they I feel like that's kind of gross. It's, it's a little, uh, I feel like yeah. it's a little, uh, unhygienic or something. I never thought about it like that. So it's kind of annoying to feel it on your toe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm not, I'm not a fan of the toe ring. Uh, okay. So you're married suddenly mm-hmm. to an 18 year old man. To an 18 year old alcoholic. Yep. Even, <laughs> even better. Uh, how much acid were you doing? Oh, I only did it twice in my life, but he, so this, the second time I did it was when he asked me to marry him, but he and his buddies had been doing it. I don't know, probably daily for a few months or something. Every day. I mean, I don't know if literally every day, but yeah, a lot. Yeah. Okay. And so take us, I mean, indulge my curiosity. Uh Uh, Take me inside the actual proposal. Where were you? Were you, if you're tripping. That's pretty embarrassing. Were you, were you like finger painting or, you know. No, we were in bed. We were on acid in uh, bed and listening, you know, to probably the dead or Zeppelin or something like that. Okay. That's yeah. better. I was yeah. thinking like, you know, like uh, laser pointers or something. No, no. It was definitely just an intimate moment. <laughs> okay. Well, that's actually, that's yeah. actually sweet. Okay. okay. You just happened to be on acid. Yeah. And you said yes immediately. Yeah. 
All right. So, and then he immediately tried to call. I don't know. He like was like trying to call to see if we could get married. But like, we're not in Vegas. You can't just go get married at 2 <laughs> in the morning Columbus. in Ohio. Anything goes. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. And so then that lasted. Uh, the marriage? Or? Yeah. Uh, about eight years. Okay. Oh, and you that's guys. That's who I had my daughter with. And You yeah. had a child. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, yeah. Okay. And, and um, at, you know, at, during this time, were you writing? Um, at the very end of the marriage, I started writing. Uh-huh. And then the, I mean, not to get too personal, but like, obviously when you're uh, with an alcoholic, that becomes stressful over time. And did you find that like the more stressful it got, was that like somehow driving you into, you know, your, your written work? Uh, yeah, definitely. I think so. Because I felt very alone toward the end of the marriage. And, um, I mean, his alcoholism was him trying to deal with, uh, other mental health issues that he had. So he actually, he actually, um, quit drinking, but that didn't really help things. So, I mean, it helped, but it just made us realize. Did he quit cold Turkey? Uh, yeah, he, I mean, he did. There was like, uh, breaks from that cold Turkey, you know, but, but was, I mean, what I'm asking is like, was there an AA or was there any kind of like, uh, he was hospitalized, um, about a year after we got married for like a month because he had a breakdown. Oh, okay. Holy shit. And then after that, he'd try not to drink or do drugs or anything. Well, that'll, that's what happens when you do acid every day I for know. two months. It's hard to know, like, <laughs> yeah, how much that played into it, but probably quite a bit. That's stressful on anyone's brain. In mm-hmm. fact, I think, like, if people can do large amounts, not only of that, but just large amounts of drugs in general, uh, that actually, you know, if they can even handle that, in the first place, mm-hmm. it, I think shows a sign of cer- a certain strength or a certain fortitude. Yeah. But the problem is that it's a candle that burns at both ends. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is the other thing, you know, as we're just coming out of the Olympics and this is a total tangent, but I feel like I need to put this on the record, like people getting their medals, uh, revoked or getting kicked off of teams for testing positive for marijuana. Right. That's the, okay. Yeah. Don't get me started. If there's an athlete, <laughs> if there's an athlete who can win a gold medal, uh-huh while smoking marijuana, mm-hmm. I am more impressed. Yeah. It's not a performance enhancer. Right. It drives me crazy. It has, I don't know. I don't, it's two separate things completely. Yeah. I mean, I look, if it's steroids or if they're taking some, you know, some sort mm-hmm. of performance and I get it, you know, you yeah. want to keep the competition fair, but if somebody's smoking uh, a joint yeah. and then can go out and like metal in gymnastics, like whole, right. that, that makes it doubly impressive to me. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyhow, uh, back to your writing, like mm-hmm. you got, uh, started writing as, uh, the marriage was coming to an end yeah. and what were you working on? Like, were you just, uh, ri- just, just stories that, you know, the beginning writer where you write a story and you send it to the New Yorker and the Paris review and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. of course the slush rejected. pile. Yeah. So, and were you in Columbus this whole time? No, at that, we, uh, uh shortly after we got married, we moved to Michigan oh, because he had an, another daughter and, um, we, I thought that he should be involved in her life, so we moved back to Michigan. Okay, wait a minute. He had another kid. Yeah, he he had a two year old, and so obviously he he fathered her when he was in high school. Yes, and then he kind of stayed with the mother for a little bit. They didn't get married, and then he kind of split the old cliche like I'm going out for diapers, and never came back. And so then shortly after we got married, I was like, you need to go back to Michigan and deal with your daughter so he had to get blood tests so that he could because he wasn't on the birth certificate or anything like that so he got on it yeah good for you so and then uh when did you have how long how long were you married before you guys had a kid Uh, two years two years Mm -hmm. uh that's a big change right yeah but i I feel like i was ready i don't know i i was 26 and um felt right yeah no i mean I don't know. It's it's kind of like once I, I mean this is just my experience of it, but once you have a kid, you can't imagine what life was like before it somehow. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah, you I just, can't imagine if I never had my daughter. Yeah. So you just you go on with life, but yeah. I mean when I think back to the way I was prior to having a child, just in not necessarily like some big huge personality shift, but just like the basic mechanics of life. Right. Are different. Well, it was so much better for me because it gave me something to think about other than myself, which was actually very helpful. I was much more relaxed and serene when she was, you know, up until she was five or whatever, because I was so focused on her. Yeah, no. And I always say to people, like, because everything that like, there's two things I say when I talk about parenthood, I say everything trite is true, which means 
there's nothing original you can practically say about it because you've yeah. heard it a million times. Like it's exhausting, but it's thrilling and yeah. <laughs> you just do it and yeah. you can't remember what life was like before. You know, all these yeah. things are the same things everybody says. But one thing nobody told me was like how powerful the biochemical experience is of being a parent uh -huh. and how like every single time, like without fail, my daughter laughs or smiles at me or gives me a hug. I get like a powerful biochemical surge that yeah. feels narcotic. Right. It's the best. I feel like I still get that sometimes. <laughs> I know, I know. Like even though she's older, like I think, I don't think it goes away. I mean, yeah. I, it's just not like a situation of diminishing returns. Yeah. Uh, and no one really articulated that to me prior to being a parent. I think that's one of the best parts of it. Yeah. I still, most times would rather just hang out with her than go to a party or reading or something like that. Or do a podcast. <laughs> right, yeah. You're like, I'm thinking about it right now. Just trying to get myself through just this. Just trying not to embarrass her in this podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, no, she's 16 now. Yeah. Um, okay. So you're up in Michigan and what were you reading during this time? Like, did you like all throughout these years, you know, obviously in high school you were picking up your mother's New Yorkers and Paris right. reviews and stuff like that. But right. who did you latch on to? early and then who got you through, you know, your early to mid twenties and into motherhood and stuff that really made an impact? Well, when I was still in high school, um, I feel like Dorothy Parker's collection, her anthology was like big for me. I, and my mom had that and I read that and, um, she's a wit. Yeah. <laughs> and Anais Nin and Henry Miller were like people my mom liked. So I read them and, uh, some Hemingway and, you know, the tried and true people. I, I could feel a little Hemingway in your work. Really? A little bit. Yeah. Like, I mean, just cool. like, there's like a, you know, and I don't want to reduce this to gender because I don't think it's, I don't think it's necessarily accurate, mm -hmm. but I think in some ways, maybe there might be a general tendency for women to not write as spare prose as like right. Hemingway might write. I think I was really conscious when I first started writing seriously of wanting to do that, of be more spare and and, and write in that style. So maybe that's why. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's, it, again, it's a general or like a generality, but I feel like female writers that I read tend to uh, be a little bit more expansive or uh -huh. lyrical compared to, I was conscious of wanting to write like a man, if that's horrible, <laughs> I don't know, but why? Because nobody takes women seriously. And, um, I don't know, it's horrible to say, but like, I wanted to not write women's fiction. I wanted to write fiction that both genders would write and, you know, there's a few exceptions, but you know, when you ask people who they're reading, most often it's going to be 90% male. Yeah. You know, it's, I mean, do you really feel like that? No one takes women seriously? Well, not no one takes women seriously, but as a generalization, over, it's harder over the centuries. I yeah. mean, I mean, it's getting better hopefully, but, um, and then I, I, I also admired that kind of writing. That's the kind of writing I liked. So it worked out both ways. You just like responded to like what the, the rhythm, the rhythm of it or yeah, whatever. Yeah, the fairness. And yeah, I liked it. And that's how I am too. And there's something I think in my personality where I love the idea of whittling down. Like the, I think the great pleasure that I get from writing is just whittling a story down to just what needs to be there, right. which I guess everyone's doing. It's just yeah. a matter of degree or whatever, but, um, I think maybe I take that to the extreme or I think writers who respond to that kind of minimalist style, take mm. that to the, I like that in movies too. The movie, I don't know if you ever saw the movie somewhere, which was Sophia Coppola's. I love that movie. Oh my God. You're the only person I know. No, I, that's I, my favorite movie. My wife and I watched that movie and we were like, why did this not get seen? This is terrific. So many people hate it or we're just like so bored by it, but I have studied it. I, I love it. It's my favorite. Okay. Movie. Yeah, no, I, that's <laughs> we watched it. Cause I don't get to go out to movies as much as I used to. Um, but it was on, uh, pay-per-view or Netflix uh, or something. And I've seen it twice since then. Yeah. Steven Dorff is great. in yeah. it. I love the little the girl, chick. Uh, yeah, yeah, the, whatever L, fanning was L, in it. L of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, uh, uh, lost in translation as well. Yeah, like her hotel movies. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I didn't, I want to say I saw part of Marie Antoinette, but fell asleep. Not necessarily because the movie was bad. Yeah. Like I always have to issue that caveat. Like if I fall asleep during a movie at this stage of my life, because it's, it's just because I'm exhausted. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I really, really liked somewhere and it's, and ama it's amazing how a movie that I think is that good can kind of fall through the cracks, but it happens yeah. all the time. But I think it's very minimalist and I like fiction like that too. Yeah. Um, okay. So Dorothy Parker, Hemingway, and then as you got into your twenties, anybody else like, and then I, when I was a young parent or my daughter was young, I didn't really read that much. I was pretty focused on her and, or if I did, I don't really remember what I was reading. It wasn't until I started writing 
and got online. And then I started reading like George Saunders and Amy Bender and those kind of people. Okay. So there's kind of like a period where I wasn't reading that much or not memorable. Yeah, I find it hard. I mean, it's like, especially with all the other stuff that I have going on, like a lot of times the only time that I'll have is at the end of the day. And you know how it is when you're a parent, like at the end of the day, as soon as I pick up a book. Yeah. I'm, it was pretty pretty mindless, like The Horse Whisperer or something like that was probably what I was reading. Yeah, the Horse Whisperer? <laughs> yeah, I remember reading that at some point when she was little. So To her? No, no, just oh. when she went to bed, I was reading it. <laughs> so. uh, maybe that's what I should be reading. Um, and then what about the online world? I mean, did that provide... Because you, you seem to have found a home online. Yeah, or... I feel like that totally changed my life. Like my daughter and then as silly as it is, like getting a computer, being online and learning about all those authors like George Saunders and that whole type of people. What about it? I mean, just, just the fact that you all of a sudden had entree and, and, you know, but did, I guess the question I'm trying to ask is like, did you find a sense of community there? Or was yeah, it sen- definitely. And, and, and how so? Because I didn't go to college. I didn't have the community of the MFA world or college world. Before I got online, it was like I said, you know, sending a story to the New Yorker, like you're never hard. That's not going to (laughs) work, you know, probably. And so when I um, got online and I found that uh, community of writers through McSweeney's and through Dave Eggers book and uh, there was which book, the heartbreaking Heartbreaking work. work. Yeah, um, I was on a I found a thread on the Atlantic Monthly that was like a forum dedicated to his book. But then it it turned into something else it was just like a lot of writers and editors and uh from the online world like eyeshot editor pindle but editor people like that and they some of them were getting mfas and they would talk about what they were reading and their studies and so i would pick up on what they were reading and read it also and and did you make friends yeah well i was shy at first and didn't post anything but then after a few months i under an alias no, I think it was under, I think it was Elizabeth Ellen. Okay. Yeah. And, and then also I found where to publish, you know, much shorter pieces that would get accepted. Uh, whereabouts? Like Pendley Bads and I shot an opium and Sweet Fancy Moses and uh, Surgery Modern Warfare, stuff like that that was about eight years ago, I think. Okay. And so, and all this time you're in Ann Arbor? No, I was in uh, the middle of Michigan at that point. Because when we got married, we moved to Fenton, Michigan, which is like an hour north of Ann Arbor. It's just a small town. And when we got divorced, I just got an apartment up there with my daughter. And then it wasn't until about seven years ago that I moved to Ann Arbor. Okay. See, so this is the way that you tend to operate, though. You start in the middle of the state and <laughs> yeah. eventually start moving <laughs> <Branch>. out. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Move to the big city. Um, okay. So how did you get involved with uh, Hobart? Um, well, I met Aaron... Birch, the editor, online through that same Atlantic Monthly thread. And then we soon had a romance, and I flew out to Seattle, and then he flew to Michigan. It's all because we of our romantic, and then I started working for Hobart after that. <laughs> gotcha. Okay, so he was in Seattle? He was in Seattle, single. And you guys met on the heartbreaking work of Staggering Genius? Well, that's what it originally was. I don't know at this point. It, it was called the pie thread. I don't know what... The pie thread? Yeah, I forget how it all evolved, but... By that point, it didn't say like PI or PIE. PIE, yeah. yeah. Okay, it's, it's a long evolution. I can't remember all the specifics, but yeah. So he he came on there after I'd been on there for a while, and uh, then we started emailing and phone calling, and then traveling to see each other. This was pre Skype and stuff, right? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, back when you had to like actually like send emails. Yeah, it was could... like 2003, I think. It's a long time ago, yeah. technology wise. <laughs> yeah, now it'd be so different. <laughs> yeah. Um, so a heartbreaking work of staggering genius, not to like, uh, drill down too much, but I mean, was that a big book for you? Yeah, I would definitely say that went hand in hand with getting online as far as changing my life. Yeah. I felt like that book, I mean, here's what I've said about that book on this show before. It's just the fact that like I walked into a bookstore. I remember where I was. I was in the Boulder bookstore. Uh I was just wandering around and for whatever reason I went directly to that book (laughs) and I picked it up in hardcover and I bought it. Wow. Which I rarely do. Yeah. Not that I don't buy books, but I rarely would buy what a hardcover. Like I don't know. <laughs> I didn't read anything about it. I just picked it up. And I think That's so maybe it was like the David Foster Wallace blurb. Okay. You know, I was aware of his work and had read some of it, you know, so I guess that was probably it. But like, I, I'm just fascinated endlessly with like how a book becomes a cultural force like that, because there are a lot of good books. Right. You know, but why does one it book... It was more like representative of a generation. How, so, though? I feel like. I yeah. don't know. I mean, it, it I did. Mean, it felt like it had a lot in it, and it felt like it said a lot of things that a lot of it people... It was so new to 
at least me, I wasn't in the literary world at all. And just like everything about it was new, you know, yeah. all the forward stuff. And I don't, just like every part of the book was either humorous or playful or something. Yeah. Like and that. it's presentation and everything, but it just feels like too, that it's a function of timing. Yeah. As much as it is of art. Like it's, it's kind of like the marriage of the two, like, uh, imperfect, uh, synchronicity or something where right. like a book meets the moment that it's meant for just in time. Right. And it gets the right push, um, which that one obviously did, but and the whole McSweeney's thing. And I, I went to a reading of his shortly after I read the book and I feel like that was equally. Did you do like the, did you go up and get like the book signed yeah. with like shaky hands and everything? Yeah. 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 And did that? Total fawning crush girl. Yeah. Uh huh. What did he say? I don't know. He just signed my book. And <laughs> yeah, 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 Dave. Yeah, exactly. Your pal. <laughs> and I was like, wow, it's my pal. Thanks for buying the book. Yeah. Um, okay. So did you, when you were getting started writing and doing your submissions online in those early days, um, how did you feel approaching uh, your own ambition as a writer? Like how much of it was there? Did you feel like the fact that you hadn't gotten a formal education was in any way a hindrance or did you feel like, uh, you know what? I, I know how to self-educate. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like I was very not conscious of what I was doing. I was just very, I think because I didn't have the education and because it was online and I didn't really, I was new to online. So it didn't mean as much to me, like the importance of it is more just like, Oh, I see these stories. These people have written. I could write that too. And I'll try it. And then, you know, you get a couple acceptances and you just keep going. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's interesting. That's one of the things about the online literary world that, uh, is really positive is that I think there is something great that happens when you remove pretense and expectation from the equation. Yeah. Yeah. It opens things up a little bit and it opens things up for experimentation, but it also allows people to maybe write, uh, less self-consciously than they yeah, otherwise definitely. would. And it allows for, um, I don't know. I, I find that there's like a, and I was, I, again, I was just talking about this with somebody and it, it's like that there's a vitality, uh, to the language and like an uninhibitedness right. that you can immediately recognize. And it's hard to actually like articulate or describe, but I, you can feel because it. The people are writing for themselves and not for particular journals or agents or, or but they're writing for their friends too. Yeah. Yeah. They're online buddies. your friends or be fun to your friends or which came later when I, I didn't have that at first, but now definitely. And I think, yeah, and I guess I think like sometimes it's a lot more interesting or maybe most of the time it's a lot more interesting for me to walk into a, an online group cold, even if I don't right. know a single person, never sat in a room with any <laughs> of them, but to read writing that is intended for uh, a small circle or that has that sort of uninhibitedness right. than I am reading a, picking up a book, uh, a heavy, uh, deckled, uh, you know, book in hardcover that, uh, was intended for the culture, right. capital C. Do you know what I'm <laughs> yeah, saying? Yeah, it's pretty heavy. It's, yeah, it just feels like a little bit, um, I mean, it, it's not always that way, but sometimes it just feels a lot less sleepy to me or a lot more alive of an experience yeah. as a reader. Yeah, definitely. So did you ever, I mean, ha have you made any kind of shift into like a higher level of self-consciousness as you publish more and more, or do you, are you trying to preserve a feeling of like grassrootsiness? I, I guess I, mostly the latter, although a little bit of the former. Um, like, I just finally got an acceptance where I got paid for a story, which is like the what? first time ever. That happened? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then quickly the journal folded. American Short Fiction, um, they put out their last issue, which I'm in with Roxanne Gay, and I assume I'll get a check. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. Don't it's hold sketchy, your breath. <laughs> but at least the journal's out there. So, But aside from that, I haven't really pursued that route as much as some of my peers or whatever. Yeah. Again, like what writers in the online community or online literary world do you look to, um, as exemplars or people that you, you really admire their work in the online community? Um, I mean, Amelia and Blake and Tao and people like that. I'm always curious to see what they're going to do next and read their writing. Do you know why? Just because you like their work, but I mean, you know, is there something I'm you're interested talking about? Amelia in Gray, do. yeah, Amelia um, Gray, Blake Butler, Blake Butler and Tao Lin, uh -huh. all three of whom have been on the or no, Tao has not been on this show. Ah. Yet. <laughs> 
uh, eventually, hopefully. But uh, I've had I've had uh, Blake on, and I've yeah. talked to Amelia. Like, do you know what it is about their work? Is there a common thread? I think with each of those three people, there's an originality that maybe isn't with everybody else, and so it seems like maybe they're going to do something new and exciting and so i'm watching to see what they're going to do is it okay and is it strictly and this is what this is another thing about the online world that some people look down uh they look down their nose at a little bit Uh and it's do you feel like it's the work itself and the work alone that's interesting to you or do you think it's a combination of the work mixed with um a person's ability to present themselves well with tao it's obviously a mix and, I mean, not that it's not a mix with Amelia and Blake. Um, I, it's a mix with everybody, but more so a mix with Tao, I think, because he's been so different in getting himself out there and his name out there and uh, more in a Andy Warhol kind of way, I think, which is I find interesting. People find it annoying. <laughs> I think it's interesting. I find it funny. Yeah, it's it's amusing and something to watch. Right, right, right. So do you think about that with regard to yourself and your own work? I'm not like that, but I mean, no, I don't see myself like that, but No, but I, I don't mean that you're necessarily Warholian in your yeah. uh, presentation or anything, but do you think about how you present yourself? And do you think about um things like brand, a word that kind of turns my stomach, but yeah. just I, you know. I, I feel like maybe more that with Hobart that there's Yeah, I hate to say brand, but um, you know, like the whiskey and blah blah blah, but and I think Hobart's... What do you more. mean, the whiskey? <laughs> well, like at AWP, we always give away whiskey. Uh-huh. And for, you know, some people know us like that. And we're, I think of Hobart as a more fun journal, not take ourselves seriously. And so, but for myself, I don't, I don't know. I don't really think of it like that. I don't know. You don't. So you don't... I try not to. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so, uh, like, how often are you submitting online? Like, do you have an do you have an approach, or is it just sort of like when stories come? You, you... yeah. In the past, it would just be when stories came, and I didn't really. I mean, you can kind of tell from my book that I just kind of threw everything in there. Like, I don't have a plan. Like, some people plan out how their story collections all going to go together and fit, and I just write for what feels right at the moment and go from there. <laughs> Intuitively, yeah. And that's it. So do you have, uh, I mean, I guess that kind of answers the question, but you don't have like looking forward some sort of like uh, uh, hope or idea of how you would like things to go? Like, do you have plans to write a novel? Do you hope yeah, for... Yeah, that's what I'm, as soon as I get back from tour, that's what I'm devoting myself to. I'm trying not to write any more stories and just work on my novel. And you're going to, and you'll submit that to like big publishers in New York? I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I don't know. I guess it depends on what it turns out to, like how it turns out. I, I'm conflicted with that. Uh, about what? Well, I don't know. I'm just for me personally, I don't have an agent. I don't feel the need for a certain level of publisher. So like, maybe I'll just put it out through short flight, long drive myself. I don't, you know, it just depends. And yeah, I mean, it's like, I've sort of anticipated that moment coming in publishing where like, if you build up a big enough platform for yourself online, or you have a big enough network or whatever, that eventually you could uh, just publish yourself yeah, and you'd get more money, obviously, because you wouldn't <laughs> I don't be... know about money, but <laughs> well, no, but I just mean, I mean on a sale. Yeah. I mean, theoretically, yeah. if you're not sharing the profit with a corporate publisher, you're going to get more of the cake. I more just think like, I want to do what I want to do. I don't want anybody else to even slightly tell me what to do. And I think if you have an agent or a certain publisher, they're going to want to in some way guide you to a certain spot. What do, what do you think? Do you have any idea what you think they would tell you that you wouldn't like? I don't know. You know, they want you to be marketable or like my, I don't think my collection would have come out with a higher publishing house because it doesn't look like what most people put out. Yeah. You know, the stories that go together, there's 10 stories. They all kind of go together or have the same feel or something like that. And mine are all over the place. Right. Right. And so what about this tour? Like you've been out in the South. I was on a different tour in the South last month with, um, just female writers. And then now I'm starting just a short West coast tour. Who are you? Was that Chloe Caldwell? And- Chloe Caldwell, Mary Miller, Brandy Wells, and Denora Hillard. Okay. That sounds fun. It was really fun. It was great. How long were you guys out there? Uh, we did six readings. We were gone about nine days. Okay. Yeah. It was and great. just road tripping. Yeah. Just through the South and we had a van and it was great. We all of us admitted that we wanted to cancel and we didn't want to do it. And we all had anxiety and then we had the best time and we didn't want to leave. <laughs> Did you bond? 
Yeah, totally. It I sounds didn't... sort of like a movie to me. This could be a movie. <laughs> yeah, maybe. It was great. <laughs> and now I'm nervous about this West Coast tour, but it'll probably be, it'll be fine. Okay, and so what's the West Coast tour? What's happening? Uh, just Chelsea Martin and Scott McClanahan and myself are doing four West Coast cities this week. Okay, and those cities are? Uh, L.A., San Francisco, Portland, and Seattle. All right. So are you driving the whole way? We were going to drive, and then I've done so much driving, and I looked into it, and flying was as cheap as running a car, so we're flying. Okay. And Everyone. taking a train, actually, from Portland to Seattle. Oh, that's cool. So little train travel. Yep. <laughs> um, and so you're hoping to sell, obviously, copies of the book along the way. I actually, this time I didn't pack any books. I just didn't want to deal with it. You didn't? No. And so why do the readings? Just to meet people and, I don't know, be present in a city. And, you know, some of them are at bookstores, some of the readings, so I'm sure they'll have books there. And But I don't know. It's less about selling books and more just meeting people and Experience, being out in the world. Doing podcasts. <laughs> yeah, and, and hanging out with the other writers that I want to know more, be better friends with or whatever. So, yeah. So when you did the Southern Lang of the Tour, like, had you met any of those people previously or suddenly you're just in a van with them? <laughs> Most of the girls didn't know each other. I was pretty good friends, really good friends with Mary Miller. Um, I didn't really know Chloe. Denora lives near me, so I know her, and I didn't know Brandy at all. So, um, and you're in a van. Yeah. A minivan or like a full-size? A, a minivan. Yeah. What kind of minivan are we talking about? It was some kind of Dodge. I don't remember what, what it was. but Dodge Caravan? Possibly. Okay. But wood wood paneling on the side? No, or? no, just a regular mom minivan. Okay. And so you're all of a sudden in this van... Was it any was it at any point weird or tense or it was anything? only weird until we got to the first city, which was Austin. Like it was all just anticipation, nervousness and a fear that we wouldn't get along, but we all got along and there was no drama and it was great. Okay. You guys boozing? Were there any funny stories that came <laughs> out of it? Um we were boozing but not so my husband had gone on the dollar store tour with Blake and Lindsay Hunter or Actually, Lindsay was only a couple stops. But anyway, Amelia and people like that a couple of summers ago. And I feel like they were, they set the bar high for rock star type drinking. Why? What happened? (laughs) They were just all, I feel like, I I don't know. I feel like they had a good time. And we were much more, you know, we're in bed by midnight most nights and didn't get to. Where were you staying? uh, Hotels. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing. They all slept on floors and, you know, we're just like, eh, I want a hotel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, Smart, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. And so, uh, I guess we've sort of talked about the future. I usually try to end with the future. Do you know, uh, like 30 years from now, you have any idea what you'd like to have done literary wise? Do you have an, an idea or a goal or anything? I would love just to have one novel written that I think is decent that I would want to read myself. You know, that's interesting. Like, I have that same feeling. Uh, just one. Yeah. Just like one book and that I feel like... that, it, whatever. But, you know, one... Everything after that would be gravy. Yeah. But, like, I just want to get it right somehow. And, um, Which is maybe too much pressure on one book, but... it does. It's that, and then it, the other... <laughs> well, that's what I'm kind of going through right now. But the other thing about it is, like, um, I feel like it's the two competing impulses. And you can tell me if you agree. It's like the impulse to want to get something done... Uh-huh. To have the thing, right? To print it out, whatever, have it published or whatever, and hold it, right? Uh, which is always anticlimactic, and I know that. Mm-hmm. Like you get to that point, it's great at first, and yeah. I'm not trying to diminish that. But then but you're just like, yeah, I remember. The real that. fun is the right, yeah, the real fun <laughs> of it is the writing of it. And then you're just yeah. like, after a while, like it's just there, it is, you know, right. and it sort of fades. But um, so you have that impulse to want to get it done, but then there's also the part of me that wants to get it right. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I could easily noodle on a book for like years. Well, that's, I mean, I feel like the books that I really love, some, they're not perfect. There's sometimes, and I can't think of examples right off the top of my head, but you know, I know when I'm reading them, they're not perfect. They're messy. And I, that's what I like about them. I don't, and that's why I put my collection out like that too. Like I just, I don't want everything like everybody else perfect or, you know, yeah, know yeah. I'm attracted to the, the different, maybe not perfect book. But it still has to be rendered well. Yeah. I mean, I want it to feel like I did it, that it was successful, I guess, and that I want, I would want to read it. Did you, do you do a lot of revision? Yeah. (laughs) You do? Okay. Oh yeah. Too much revision. So I'm trying not, I'm trying, I'm more the type that like will fiddle with a paragraph all day, but I'm trying not to do that. Like one paragraph. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then the next day go back and refiddle with that. But I'm trying not to do that and just kind of move forward and worry about it later. Is that better? You think? 
Because I'm, well, I'm fiddling right somewhere. now. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm sure you're stuck on that paragraph. I just find, yeah, I find that myself like really noodling. You know, I'm, I'm making forward progress. It's just like, you know, 500 words is a big day. Yeah. You know, that's a, that's a big push for a day. Yeah. And otherwise, like I'm just trying to make sure I get it right. Uh, and I'm not, I don't want to settle on a single sentence. Right. But I also, I, I think you're, you know, there's something to the idea that you also don't want to like drive yourself crazy. Or, you want to be more free, I think, when you're writing and not so caught up in each word, maybe. Maybe. So. <laughs> Is that what you're trying to do? That's what I'm aiming for. Like the couple of things that I have written really fast, I feel like are some of my best work. And so, but I don't know why it happens sometimes. Like you just start writing like 2000 words a day instead of 400 or something. It may, it's just different too. Yeah. You know, from story to story or book yeah. to book or day to day. Yeah. Uh, and like, how do you work? Like, what is your ritual? Do you work every day? Do you work most days? Do you work whenever um, you can? Well, yeah, when I'm like, obviously the summer has been all over the place and I haven't had much time to write, but normally I try to write first thing in the morning as long as I can until my daughter gets home from school. So I take breaks to, you know, do laundry or whatever, but I try to write as much as I can during the day. I'm pretty disciplined about it. I'm disciplined about sitting in the chair. I don't know about how much <laughs> writing I'm getting done. I can sit I'm there slack jawed for four hours. Yeah, That's yeah, no I might problem. Be staring at the wall. But Do you get distracted by the internet? No, because the computer that I work on in my in the bedroom that I work in isn't connected to the internet. Smart. Yeah, that was the best. No Wi Fi. No. Conscious decision. Well, I mean, the house has Wi Fi, but that somehow Aaron disabled that computer. It can't get online. Or if it can, I don't know how to do it. So that was the best thing ever. Do you guys share a writing computer? No. Oh, no, okay. No. He writes on a laptop online, but... Oh, he does? Yeah. But you don't want to be there? No, no. I don't want to be online. That's, I have to not be distracted at all. Okay. So see, that, that's that's an intense level of focus and discipline. Yeah, at otherwise, I'd never get anything done. Like I have, Because I feel like I have to sit there like an hour just kind of looking at the computer and thinking my thoughts before I even start writing. Yeah. I need like a, I need like a fairly long period of dicking around. I mean, usually, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a rare day when I can just sit down and just start. Unless you're at the end of something and then, you know, it goes faster, but especially the beginning and toward the middle. And toward the middle. Well, it's been fun talking with you. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. And best of luck on this tour. Um, I guess you're not driving, so I don't have to tell you to drive safe. (laughs) No, I can just fly safe. All right. Well, thanks so much. Thank you. All right, guys, there you go. That is the program. That's Elizabeth Ellen. You can find her on the web at elizabethellen.net. She also has a Tumblr, and the address for that is fast-machine.tumblr.com. This program has a website. It's otherpeoplepod.com. It has a Twitter feed, at otherpeoplepod. I have a Twitter feed, at Brad Listy, if you want to read my somewhat annoying and emotionally needy tweets. The show has a Facebook presence, too. And if you want to email me, the address is letters at otherpeoplepod.com. Thanks, as always, to Kill Rockstars for all the great music. Be sure to check out killrockstars.com. And, uh, hey, guess what? I'm racing right now to get this done. Can you hear it in my voice? I'm running late. I've got to go get a haircut. That's the truth. I'm just telling you what's happening. That, uh, you know, that's my life. These are the mundane details of my existence. And uh, even worse, I get the same haircut every single time. I never do anything unusual or out of the ordinary. Uh, though I do have fantasies. I do from time to time entertain fantasies of shaving my head completely bald and also at some point getting a mohawk. But I did, you know, I doubt that I'll ever do uh, either of those things because I'm afraid that it won't grow back. It's an irrational fear. I'm not proud of it, but there it is. Please remember that Voltaire's second wife was his own sister's daughter and that St. Francis of Assisi probably died of malaria. I will be back again soon, folks. Uh, You know that. Episode 100. Uh, Be there. Help spread the word. Let's make it viral. Let's make it uh, metastasize. Let's try to think of yet another word involving communicable and possibly fatal disease to use when discussing the dissemination of this audio program. How does that sound? Does that sound good? Do you like that? Do you find it enjoyable? Are you with me? 